When Moses led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, he learned the power and the love of God. Join me, Pastor Hook, as we learn lessons from the Exodus and God's great rescue. We are in episode five of this great walk through the book of Exodus, one of this, the great story of God coming and rescuing his people, which is, a, which is an Old Testament type of rescue that God did ultimately in Jesus when he came and rescued us, that he pulled us out of slavery to sin and brought us into his kingdom and into the promised land and all. I mean, the parallels are incredible, incredible parallels. So that's where we are. We are in Exodus. Now, when we left yesterday, we were in Exodus chapter 2, verse 15, when Pharaoh heard of this, that Moses had killed somebody because Moses had killed an Egyptian who was beating up a Hebrew and Pharaoh found out about it. Now he's pursuing Moses, but Moses fled the Pharaoh and went to live in Midian where he sat down by a well. Um, that's kind of where we left the story yesterday. And I just want to spend a little bit of time trying to talk about what that means. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to put up, uh, for those who can watch, I'm putting up a map of this area, and I'll try to describe it for those people who are just listening through the, uh, through the voice. But we don't know exactly where Moses was, but we know where the town of Ramses is today, which is probably... If you'll remember, we had the Suez Canal. What was the ship got stuck in the Suez Canal? That's that separates Egypt from from the other part of the Middle East. That that Suez Canal, and so Moses was on the west side of the Suez Canal. We're not sure far how far west he was. The town of Ramses is probably what thirty or fifty miles from the Suez Canal as the crow flies to the west. So that's approximately where Moses was. And then he left uh, and went over to the, uh, to the east and um, crossed over, you know, he, I don't think he crossed over the Red Sea, but he crossed over probably in the area of the Suez Canal and went over into what is modern-day Israel. And then he went south uh, along the Sinai Peninsula, and then he went over uh, to the east and crossed over into Arabia, and that's where where Mount Sinai is, and that's that's where uh, Moses is. And the journey looks to be I, I measured it, and it's about two hundred and eighty miles. So let's say roughly three hundred miles that he left uh, his land in Egypt to go over to the land of Midian. <clears throat> now, what does that mean? That's a significant distance. If you hike the Arizona Trail from the south end up to the north end, that's about 800 miles. So as the crow flies, it's about, well, I'd say it's probably about a third of that distance. So if you can hike the Arizona Trail, most people can hike it in about 40 days, 45 days. This is about a 15-day journey then for Moses to get from the land of Egypt over to the land of Midian. So he definitely knew that his life was in danger and he wanted to get as far away as he, from Egypt as he possibly could because Pharaoh had armies. If, he, if Pharaoh wants to kill somebody, he can send out armies to kill. And of course, they've got chariots. And so eventually they found out that Moses wasn't there. I mean, they searched for Moses. They couldn't find Moses. And so they sent their chariots from town to, you know, from village to village to try to find. They didn't know which, which direction he went. Well, Moses went into the desert and went south 
across the Sinai Peninsula and then, and then went over into the land of Midian. So he went a pretty far distance. He knew that his life probably in Egypt was over, that he couldn't go back. Uh, he'd killed somebody. Pharaoh was after him. He was this he was this representative who represented both the Hebrews and the Egyptians. He was this crossover person. And now the one, the one kingdom is pursuing him and, and trying to kill him. So he goes into the land of Midian. And that's where we'll, we'll pick up the story uh, in Exodus 2, verse 21. So Moses agreed to stay with the man. Well, let's see. Where, what man is he talking about? Um, uh, sorry. Let's see if I can find this. No, we're not there yet. Yeah, it's verse 16. That's I thought that looks strange. Yeah, we're in verse 16. So we're going to start over again. This is Exodus 2, verse 16. So now Moses is in the land of Midian. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered the flock. So I just want to stop there real quick. So Moses is in Midian and this priest of Midian. Now think about that. Moses is from the priestly class of Levi, and now there's a priest in Midian and he has seven daughters. And they came to the well to draw water, but there were other shepherds there and they came to drive these ladies away from the well. So you have to understand that the well was the source of life for everything. If you needed water to drink, you would dip your pot in the well to drink. But if you also wanted to feed your flocks, especially during a time where it wasn't raining and, the, and you needed water, you would also dip your, your uh, pot into the well or the jar into the well and pull out the water. Well, this is a society where you've got these, these shepherds and these are probably male shepherds and they've got their sheep and they're trying to get water and there's these females and the seven daughters of, of Midian. And so they're saying, no, we're not going to let you draw water. We're going to get our water first. And so this argument gets underway. And Moses, <clears throat> for whatever reason, when you think about this, this is quite amazing. He got up and he came to their rescue and he helped water their flock. Um, Moses is in a foreign land and he's getting in the middle of an argument at a well with foreign people. That is, that is quite unusual. If I am in a foreign, like if I'm in Mexico, we, our family goes down to Puerto Penasco periodically. And when you're in a foreign land and you don't speak the language, I have no idea about the language here, but when you don't, when people know that you are a foreigner, and they know he's a foreigner. They know he's from Egypt. We'll find out later that they know he's from Egypt. Um, to have somebody from a foreign land come in and intervene in a conflict that's very localized is highly irregular. So Moses is either really stupid or Moses is a person who is just at his root, very, very concerned with the righteousness of the world around him. We saw that when he killed the Egyptian slave driver, that obviously he risked his own life to create justice there. And now he's in a foreign country at a well and he gets involved in a conflict to, to bring about resolution to this conflict there. Moses is already a leader. It could have been because he grew up in Pharaoh's court. 
It could have been that he had an unusual circumstance that, that made him realize that he was a foreigner even in the court, and so he had to learn how to live in this world of reconciliation. Or it could have been that God just created an amazing leader in Moses. I don't know which of those it is. It could be something else. But Moses already, this part of his life, is showing incredible leadership skills. And at, at its root, leadership... At its root, leadership is trying to bring about God's righteousness on the earth. I know that sounds crazy, (laughs) but at its root, that's what leadership is. Even people who are leaders in business today, like president of Google or president of uh, Tesla, right? Elon Musk, who also has Starlink. All of these people, I think at their root, are using the gifts that God gave them to try to make the world a better place. Now, they're going to be able to make, because we live in a capitalistic, a capitalism society, they will make money on that. And these people will make money. But you look at some really, you look at really, really good leaders, and they're not doing it just for the money. They're doing it partially for the money, but they're also doing it because they believe that what they have to offer will make the world a better place. And we, I, I see this in Elon Musk, who um, I, I have a great admiration for Elon Musk because he is the one who's looking at the world and trying to figure out, okay, how are we going to make the world a better place? And so he's come into this idea of electric vehicles and how he's going to produce them and all that sort of thing. But it's not just enough to make money. As a matter of fact, he's lost a lot of money. He might risk everything of his money to pursue this dream of creating electric cars. Why? Because he wants to make the world a better place. And at its root, all great leaders have been placed in this position where they've got great um, great skill set and opportunity to make the world a better place. <clears throat> and this is Moses. Moses feels, I'm sure, called by God to make the world a better place. And he gets to the land of Midian and he sees this conflict. He could have easily stayed out of this conflict. But instead, he goes in the middle of this conflict and he tries to create a resolution. And uh, it's really quite remarkable when you think about it, but it, it reveals Moses' character. Just like killing of the Egyptian slave driver reveals Moses' character, this also reveals Moses' character. He drives away the flock, and Moses comes to the rescue and waters this. The, 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 this one flock drives away the flock of the seven daughters of Midian. Moses gets in the middle, helps them water their flock, and brings resolution to the whole situation without getting killed, which is also amazing too, because most foreigners probably would have been killed. But there was something about Moses that he brought with him a presence that was amazing. Um, that he was able to do this. And, and maybe it was the way he carried himself. Maybe it was the clothes he was wearing from Egypt. Maybe he was tall. Maybe he just had a commanding voice and a commanding presence about him. I don't know. But at some level, he was able to resolve the conflict. We'll go on. In verse 18, So when these seven daughters, or these girls, returned to Ruel, their father, he asked them, Why have you returned so early today? And they answered, An Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. And where is he? Ruel asked his daughter. Why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. So Ruel, who is um, uh, 
ends up becoming Moses's father-in-law, also known as Jeff, Jethro, says to his, to his daughters, well, why'd you leave him there? He sounds like a great guy that we could invite into our family and maybe even marry one of our daughters. And what in the world, why did you leave him there? Which, uh, if you're a father and you hear a story about a righteous man who is able to resolve a conflict and have character and integrity, and you, you don't necessarily want to leave that man isolated and alone, you want to get to know him because it's possible that he might be somebody that could become part of your family and your tribe. And so Ruel sees this. And so he asks the daughters, what happened? And why did you leave him there? Why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. And so um, so they go back and they go to get Moses. So we'll continue reading in verse, um, let's see. Uh, yeah, we got to verse 20. So now we'll start reading in verse 21. So Moses agreed to stay with the man. The daughters obviously went back and got Moses. And Moses agreed to stay with Ruel and his seven daughters. I mean, imagine some of them were very beautiful. Moses is a young man. There's probably potential here. If I were Moses, I would have said yes. And he gave his daughters Zipporah to Moses in marriage. And Zipporah gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershom, saying, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. So... This is the story. Moses goes to Midian, sits at the well, helps these seven daughters fend off these evil flock driver shepherds, goes back, meets Ruel. Ruel is impressed with Moses, gives him the daughter Zipporah, and then they have a son. And Moses names him Gershom. So he not only became a foreigner in a foreign land, but he kind of ingratiated himself into this tribe of Ruel and became part of the tribe. So now he left all of Egypt and the glories of Egypt and went to this tiny foreign land out in the middle of nowhere. And the only thing they're known for is shepherds and sheep and wells. And he marries into this family. Now, what's interesting is if you remember the story of how Moses ends up in Egypt, it's because of Israel. Abraham was promised by God that he would have a great nation. Abraham has Isaac, Isaac has Jacob, Jacob uh, has his 12 sons, and they end up in Egypt. And what was their profession? They also were shepherders. They were the same. It's the same thing. It's like Moses comes from a family of shepherds and ends up for a time in Pharaoh's court in the kingdom and then he leaves and he goes back to a family of shepherds. This is a deep resonance. Moses has a deep resonance with this, this family because they're doing something that his ancestors did. And he feels like he is part of them. He's an, it's like an, I would think that there'd be like an instant connection with Moses, with his family. So much so that he ends up marrying into the family and having a child with his family. And he probably could have stayed with this family forever being a part of the family, being a, being a shepherd, watering the flocks, enjoying all the seven daughters, but really enjoying Zipporah and, uh, and, and the son that he has, Gershom, and just enjoying life. But God doesn't leave him there. Verse 23, during that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help 
because of their slavery went up to God. And God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. So while Moses is cushy, enjoying life in this wonderful new adopted family in this land, the, the rest of Moses' clan is back in Egypt, still under the crushing oppression of slavery. And that's kind of where we are at this point. Um, I do wonder if Moses would have had any desire to go back to Egypt, because in Egypt he was a he was kind of a celebrity. I mean, he doesn't know that the kings died, that this that there's a new pharaoh on the throne. He doesn't know what the people have thought about him. But he could have contented, contentedly lived in this new land forever and just been happy. It seems like he could have done that. Um, so that's that's the story as it is right now. Um, I wonder if we should, could keep reading. Yeah, so, um, <clears throat> yeah, we'll get into this. So now what happens? We're in chapter 3, verse 1. So Moses, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. <laughs> so this is the classic, in my, in my mind, whenever I read this in the book of Exodus, I picture Moses as Charlton Heston in the great Cecil, Bill, Cecil B. DeMille movie, The Ten Commandments. And he's out watering Jethro's flocks, and he's on the far side of the mountain, and all of a sudden, he sees a burning bush that is not consumed. And this is, this is this great time when Moses turns away and says, Hmm, I think I will go over and see what this strange sight is. The bush is burning and it does not burn up. It does not consume. Now, I do wonder a lot about what this bush was and what it looked like. It, it could have been an actual burning bush which is what's depicted in the Cecil B. DeMille movie, Ten Commandments. He goes over and it's this bush that's burning. Um, it could have been a reflection of the sun that made it look like it was burning. I mean, I don't know. Um, I often wonder in my life if there are natural explanations for these things in the Old Testament. But as I, as I read this story, and Moses is the one who's writing this story, so he knows exactly what's going on. He goes over and he sees a burning bush. This is definitely a miracle by God to bring Moses over into his presence. Uh, and so Moses does. He goes over in verse 4. When the Lord saw that Moses had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush. And he says, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Oh my goodness. Do not come closer. God said, take off your sandals. For the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. So Moses calls him over. Moses is in sandals. He comes close to the burning bush. Moses says, take off your, or God says to Moses, take off your sandals. This is holy ground. 
Holy means set apart, set apart for the purpose of God. This is holy ground. And Moses hears the voice of God and God knows, God reveals to Moses that he is the God of the father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses knows these people in his history because remember, he was nursed by by the Hebrews, and they surely told Moses the story of who his ancestors were, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If you were, if you knew the Hebrew people living in Egypt, they knew who their ancestors were and how they, they knew the story of how they got to Egypt. And now this God who had revealed himself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was now revealing himself to Moses. This must have been a phenomenal event in Moses' life. I can't even imagine the the thrill and the joy of having the voice of God come to you and say, Moses, take off your shoes. This is holy ground. I am the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And to hear the voice of God, just absolutely amazing. Must have been an incredible transformative moment in Moses' life. And Moses gets down on the ground and hides his face because he's afraid to look at God. This is the natural response whenever we come in the presence of God. If you'll remember the story of Jesus, when he first meets Peter, he te- Peter was putting the nets away because he'd been fishing all day and caught nothing. And Jesus tells Peter, go cast over there. And Peter's like, I'm not going to cast over there. I was just fishing over there. There's nothing over there. You have no idea what you're doing. You're on the shore. I'm a fisherman. But there was something about the presence of Jesus that caught Peter's attention. And so he throws out the net and he catches the biggest catch of his life because of this prophet. And what happens at that moment? It says in scripture that Peter got down on the ground and hid his face because he realized he was in the presence of something greater than himself. When you are in the presence of God, when you see the presence of God, what do you do in your life? And Truly, I believe that when people truly experience the presence of God and where God's done amazing things, I think one of the most common ways of dealing with that is to stop and pause and realize I'm in the presence of God. God has done something amazing. And in my life, I've seen the presence of God several times. And um, this is a reaction just to stop and pause and say, oh my goodness, (laughs) God, you've really done something amazing here. And um, and maybe even at some level be afraid to be in the presence of s- such great power, such great power. That is a common response. So that's what Moses does. And then we're going to find out what Moses tells or what God tells Moses to do, but we're going to leave that to next week. So um, I think we'll go ahead and close in prayer. Gracious God, thank you for revealing yourself to Moses, and in his presence he feared you, but we have no reason to fear you because we are firmly in your kingdom because you sent your son, Jesus, to rescue us, and it's in his name we pray, amen.